When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Guys, the Moose Jaw Times Herald just published their last issue. Shut up. It's not funny. They've been serving Moose Jaw for 111 years. The Nanaimo Daily News shut down last year, ending a 141-year run. And the Guelph Mercury also shuttered last year after 149 years covering local news in Guelph. Local news is in serious trouble all across the country. Smaller communities are especially vulnerable. We talk a lot about big issues, about immigration and racism and reconciliation, uh, foreign policy. We talk about Trudeau and what's up in Ottawa. And all of it is pretty lopsided because anybody who cares about what is going on in the world has to care about what is happening right outside their window with their schools, with their parks, with the zoning of that new mall, with the potholes on their street. This is where being a citizen begins. This is where giving a shit begins. You can't really do that if you don't know what's happening in your own community. But this hand-wringing, this doom and gloom about local news, uh, it's getting old. I want to know what is being done about this. Who is actually trying something new? And is there anything out there that is actually working? As local newspapers die, has anybody figured anything else out? Well, today I'm going to talk to three different news entrepreneurs from three parts of the country. One is a community newspaper, on paper, only on paper, nothing online, in Toronto. One is a network of community news websites based in Sault Ste. Marie. And finally, a pop-up journalism project that covered the Calgary mayoral race and then disappeared on purpose. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Devin Eshpeter, Sam N., Hillary Smith, Barry Freeman, Emily Much, Beth Ann Brody, Gabe LaMarche, and Curtis Collard. Hi, my name's Curtis Collard. I'm a computer programmer from Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario. I believe in Canada Land, and that's why I support it. Ever since I started listening, 
I directly related with the stories and always wanted to hear more. That doesn't happen very often in the news these days, and I think that it's definitely worth supporting because of it. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. And this episode is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. I sleep on a Casper mattress. I got a Casper mattress when there was just one Casper mattress. There are now three Casper mattresses. There's the Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. I like my Casper mattress. I'm curious about this Wave and Essential, but it's not like I'm going to try out a few different mattresses. You can try out, if you need a new mattress, that's the time to try out a new mattress, and you can try out a Casper mattress. You can pick which of those three you want, and you can try it out for 100 days, and if you don't like it, you just send it back. They ship this thing to your house in a box that is much smaller than a box containing a mattress should be. And the reason why you buy a Casper mattress is because they're really good mattresses. In my opinion, I like mine, and they're a lot cheaper than mattresses that you'll find in those big showrooms. They are perfectly designed for humans, engineered to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. They're cheaper than the other brands because they cut out the middleman and sell directly to you. They are shipped to you for free. And they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amount of bounce and sink. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get 65 bucks Canadian toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash CanadaLand. By the way, you'll notice you see Casper ads all over the place. They offer you 50 bucks off Canadian usually. For listeners of this show, it's $65 off. Use the promo code CanadaLand at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. And this episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks makes cloud accounting software for creative professionals, for freelancers, for small businesses. It is so straightforward to use that you will save hours every week and you will have more time to be creative or to just run your business for whatever you want to do that is not doing your books, doing your billing, filing your expenses. All that stuff happens a lot quicker when you use FreshBooks. They have rebuilt this thing from the ground up to make it even easier to use than ever. Sending a branded invoice takes under 30 seconds. Enabling online payments is two clicks away. That is a big deal, by the way, the ability to let people pay you online. It turns this chore like, oh, I got to pay this person. You know what? I'm reading the invoice now. Why don't I just pay them right now? When you get your money quicker, that's days of wondering, when am I going to get paid? How can I plan my business when I don't know? No, you just get the money much, much sooner. It makes your life easier and it saves you time because you don't have to chase them for payment. If you work with a team and I have used these features, you can invite your employees, contractors to collaborate and easily share information, files, updates. If you are listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, you should try it out. There is an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. You don't need a credit card. All you got to do is go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand 
And when they ask you, how did you hear about us? Please enter Canada land. You'll be doing the show a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. Most tiny community newspaper startups do not get national press coverage months before they publish their first issue. But most community newspapers aren't published by rock musicians and funded by Margaret Atwood. The West End Phoenix is a monthly, ad-free, print-only nonprofit newspaper covering the downtown west side of Toronto. Its founder is Rio Statics guitarist Dave Bedini, who is also a former newspaper columnist, an author, and a well-connected guy about town. He joins me in our studio. You launched a newspaper. Yes. In 2017. Is that, yes. Online? No. Print Zero over. online, yeah. Print Which over. is not, honestly, the reason there's not a lot online is because we haven't had the time to really get around to it. We hope that the website's beautiful and we have a few stories, maybe some illustrations that live on there, but mostly print. It's, I mean, it's not, we're not anti-digital at all. We're not a penny farthing. We're not a wax mustache, right? Right. There was somebody who did that actually in Philadelphia. Uh, somebody launched a paper called The Independent and it looked totally like it was from 1890 and it lasted like 10 issues, right? We live in the modern world and I would like the website to be something, but, but yeah, we decided to pour all of our energy into the print. If you want to read it, you got to get a copy. Totally. And a copy is $10. Yeah, no. Well, single copy is ten, so a subscription is fifty a year. So it's that's typically what's meant by copy is one copy. <laughs> that's true. We hope that people would be annual subscribers. But okay, yeah. annual subscribers is fifty nine dollars if you live fifty six. Fifty six. Excuse yes. me. If you live in the west side of Toronto, yes. And otherwise, it's like a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Yep. Okay. Totally. You've spoken about your love for print as a medium. You've kind of like uh, coined the term slow print. Hashtag slow print. Mm-hmm. And um, you talk in your first, your introductory letter from the editor about how you want to hug this newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a bit about this like fetishization of print, of this eroticization. What is it about the newspaper as an object that you find so compelling? Like, is it the environmental waste? Is it... Uh, we a, love the environmental waste. Is it the lack of timeliness, <laughs> the assurance that nothing in here... We hate trees. ...happened um. today... <laughs> Is is it the inefficiency of the delivery method? Um, well, well, it's funny. Help me understand. Yeah, help sure. me understand this. For sure, it stems from my romantic history with the newspaper. Absolutely. The greatest day of my life was 1974. I was published in the Young Sun, which is a Toronto Sun youth section, right, in the 70s. I think it lasted into the 80s, too. I had a poem published about Eddie Shack, the hockey player. And uh, seeing one's work in print was incredible. Or just seeing one's work period represented was a beautiful thing. So um, my memories attached to when I was a kid, right? When my mom was alive, you know, when I was a kid growing up in the suburbs. So the newspaper, newspapers for me ring that bell a little bit. I can't deny it. I feel like the paper is infused with that sense of nostalgia. There's uh, memoir after memoir, reminiscence for this place is closing, that place is closing. Right. Somebody's actual memoir is in there. Like, mm-hmm. it, Alicia it, Elliott, it, right? News is supposed to be considered with what's going on now. This paper is very concerned with the past. Well, and we can't, it's, that's where slow, the idea of slow news and slow print comes up. It would be absurd for us to be, you know, to, 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 for our news to be in the heat of the day, or the heat of the time, because that is accessible to us immediately as soon as we pull our phones out or open up our laptops, news is happening. So mm-hmm. we have to, we do have to rear view mirror it a little bit, I think. We're going to try to arc, I think, to for news that exists a little bit closer to the moment at which it's being read. But um, for now, yeah, we're positioned a little bit, we're looking at it a little bit sideways and maybe a little bit over our shoulders. What we want to be able to do is try to see the city both as it will be in 20 years on the same level as it was 20 years ago, I think. That's the real trick. I don't think we've got there yet. But I think that's the parlor trick to be able to exist in both time frames, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Let me abandon this crusty uh, yep. conceit that I've uh, embarked upon here. Because, like, look, you are publishing ideas, stories, words, pictures. You're paying people to do this. God bless you. There's a lot of people I want to be a shithead to before right. I want to be a shithead to that person. And I don't really care necessarily if you're going to disseminate ideas and words and pictures via fortune cookie or on the internet. Like, it's just a good sure. thing to do. We That's need, co- artists working is awesome. That's right. In, we any, need co- more, in any capacity, yeah, totally. We totally. need more of that. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, any way you can get there is the right way, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. If, if you've got something that can work and sustain, it's the right thing. But I guess I want to kind of drill down on this, um, the context that you've launched this in, mm-hmm. which is that all of the coverage of the West End Phoenix is sort of uh, the, the, the news hook is newspapers are dying. Here's a guy who's launched a newspaper. 
and uh, what's he thinking, what's he doing, and how's he doing it. It's all around, uh, here's the new community newspaper. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is a community newspaper. I think that you're, you're publishing a magazine. I feel like you don't have reporters who are covering town hall, city council meetings. Like, I feel like you've got like a good marketing hook for a new magazine. Mm. What do you think? I don't we, know. We describe it as a newspaper, but it is it has elements of a magazine. In a way, it's a literary journal disguised as a newspaper, for sure. But what we wanted to do was kind of reinvent the community newspaper in a way to sort of bring in some of those elements of those other forms that you talked about. We would like to have more council stuff, for sure. That's going to take more people on the ground uh, and a bigger staff, and we need more money to do that, right? And actually, that's one of the levels we've appealed to our patrons, right? In order for us to go to that logical place, which you mentioned is people, you know, people going to neighborhood meetings, town councils, the community forums that the cops have in every newspaper. We need people in those places, but we just don't have the resources right now. But we'd like to. And when we build up, build our resources, we will have those people doing a bit more community-based. Like you, you will see on the front cover, there's a, there's the story of the cold cuts in Beresford Park. So there are community elements. But I do think, you know, listen, it's the first issue. So I think as we get to maybe issue four or five, there we will be calibrated where we maintain those magazine-ish long-form elements, but we also are able to infuse the paper with a little bit more community-based stuff. The thing about the community newspaper, the forum, is Jesus Christ. We live in this growing city, the city that's at a really interesting, fragile, changing state, and we don't really have community newspapers that serve that. All the community newspapers are bought by Metroland. There are rolls tied in flyers that tumble up on the porch that have four or five stories in it. They were all amalgamated into one thing. So I just think, I thought there was, I think there's a vacuum for a kind of community newspaper, and it may level out to being a bit more of a traditional community newspaper, but for right now, we're trying to dream up something different, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people, I mean, you got national coverage for what you're building as sort of like a neighborhood community newspaper. And right. I think the reason for that is that people are looking at saying, is there a model here that can scale? Can other people do this? To which I would say, if you want to start this in Regina or in, in Ajax, Ontario, right. just find your local internationally best-selling author. Right. And your local contact at uh, Bank of Montreal and your local- There's one in every town, Jesse. You're breathing in a very rarefied area. I'm cashing in my chips, though. I called everybody over the summer. Everybody I'd ever met on the road, every musician I'd ever met, every author I'd ever met, you know. Let's throw some names around. So you got Margaret Atwood involved in this. You got- uh, Yeah, Yann Martel. Yeah, Yann Martel. Uh, Donnie Bain uh-huh. defended Mike Duffy. He's a guy who sponsored the Wolf Island Literary Festival forever. He's totally helped us. Your, and like, again, yeah, tons of patrons. Yeah. Your workspace is, is donated. Your, your, yeah, the Gladstone Hotel, Christina Zeidler, totally. The biggest expense, I imagine, is the actual printing of the paper. Printed for free by an old friend of mine who went to kindergarten with my wife, who's the deputy editor of the paper. Dave, this doesn't scale. It's weird. No one else can do this. It's really weird. Dave Bedini can do this. It's, yeah, I'm super, super lucky to have that. I'm lucky to have had that. To have amassed that over the years. and Yeah. Um, I mean, philanthropy could work. I mean, uh, communities could get together and say, okay, this isn't going to be a business, but we want to have a newspaper. So let's everybody, you know, let's everybody pull in and, and, and maybe there's a way to cover costs. And maybe we're not going to do it with newsprint because that's much more expensive than online. But, you know, the mission is we want coverage of our community. Right. Maybe there is some philanthropic kind of everybody pulling in together. But then you run into problems. Margaret Atwood is a big benefactor of yours. Mm. What's a big issue in uh, Toronto right now that Margaret Atwood has stepped into yeah. is uh, she lives in the annex, one of the richest neighborhoods, right in the heart of the city. It's got atrocious, atrocious rates of uh, density. Yeah. Not enough people live there. Yeah. We need more people to live there. It doesn't make any damn sense. And the only reason why more people don't live there is because rich people are blocking it, For and sure. Margaret Atwood's one of them. Yeah. Can you write about that? Yeah, I think people, I mean, and we even had Taz Developments as a developer in the West End who've given us some money too. Everybody comes knowing that we're just going to write whatever we want to write. There haven't been complications like that that I've been aware of through the course of assigning for the paper. I hope there won't be. Yeah. But, um, yeah, people have to come into it knowing that in order for it to be any good, you know, we have to do what we have to do in order to make it relevant. Yeah. And also, like, listen, it may totally fail. I don't know. It's, it's an experiment in a lot of ways. We're giving it a year to see what it can become. I know like the Review Cinema, for instance, on Ronson's Vales, they became a nonprofit and they started fundraising the way a lot of us do. And they were at death's door. They were going to be sold. And then they had a patron came by and helped with a large philanthropic gift. I'm hoping that there's somebody out there for whom this rings the same kind of bell. Yeah. And somebody who can come in and help sustain us. We don't need them. Well, we always need them as, as we always do uh, when we crowdfund this sort of stuff. But... Um, Right now, we're just trying to make it good, and then we'll see 
how it ends up. I think that that's an interesting thing that is scalable as an idea, which is like not really hit Canada yet, which is uh, philanthropy. Totally. And on, on every level in the US, there mm. is a tradition like billionaires give a lot back. You know, yeah. for all the heat that American billionaires take, there's a lot of foundations and endowments, universities, there's, there's a ton of- For sure. Because the government's not doing this stuff, There's that happens. And then there's an idea, I think, that's distributed amongst just regular people right. that if you want to have cultural life, if you want to have mm-hmm. civil society, like, like no one's going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in Canada- uh, what we have had success in fighting against, and thank God to our patrons for it, is this idea of like, try, like it's this new idea. Like, you don't have to wait for the government to make something so. Right. If we want something, we can have it. Well, you've seen that in art. I seen that in mu- see that in music all the time. Once you get on the tit, like once you get, once you become sort of a funded entity, I think you lose a little bit of the entrepreneurial singular drive it takes to create something just because you really want to do it and because you love it you know as opposed to sitting around waiting for your Ontario Arts Council grant you know or your factor grant your Canada Council grant it's a mugs game anyways because it's so random so yeah I think there's something to be said about just doing something because you think it's a great idea and again if it fails move on to the next idea but you got to try and I think if an idea is good ultimately I would like to think that that new scenario that you paint is something that can kind of be that eventually we can move around to as opposed to waiting for a jury to tell you that your idea is a good idea. I guess my final thought about the paper is, on the one hand, I share the tactile fascination, like, you know, like, like growing up newspapers, magazines had a certain aura, the weekend star and the comic section, and then going through any, and, and I know you guys don't have ads. I loved like the president's choice food magazine, flex. <laughs> like the ads, the classifieds, you know, the, the, the yeah. whole thing of a newspaper, but it was trash. It was like, I mean, it was literally trash. I'm not talking about the content. Like you threw, like it was the most utilitarian thing. A newspaper was just the most quotidian everyday mm-hmm. You use it for a million other things when you're done with it, and it's just it's almost instantly garbage. And the idea that we've reached a place where it's becoming so scarce mm. that we reimagine it as almost like an objet d'art is like the final death knell for the medium. You know what I mean? It's almost like okay, now we have artisanal, you know, like dental floss or something. Like like it's or vinyl. It's like you know the album is dead when it comes back as um, my that's a bad. Is it dead or alive? Though? It's it, totally I know. Come back <laughs> that way. Uh, maybe that's a good example if you, for for your side of this. But I don't know. I I, I felt like um, this sort of like insistence on the paper as like the only way to get it and the biggest, most unwieldy paper possible mm-hmm. for the largest sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very much a reaction against the way that we're all consuming news, which it's a much better way. It's a much mm-hmm. cheaper, faster way of disseminating information online yeah. than, 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 you know, with an offset printing press that you have to <laughs> hand deliver to everybody's doorstep. <laughs> so now it's this like, spe- it's like a Fabergé egg now or something. Well, I think it's true. You're right. It has become kind of this objet d'art and has become this really kind of exotic and strange entity. But at the same time, like we were talking about how, what paper, what stock do we print this newspaper on? And we'd looked at a bunch of stuff, you know, a bunch of like harder stock, a bit more permanent stock. And then we realized, no, it should be printed on hamster cage paper. Yeah. Somebody tweeted today, actually, a photo of them carving their pumpkin on the West End Phoenix. It was fucking, it's beautiful. Listen, there is something inherently kind of disposable about it. And Yesterday, I got an email from somebody that told me that they're going to submit their copies to the Thomas Fisher Rare Books Library. They're going to maintain them. That's cool, too. While she's doing that, somebody else is carving their pumpkin on the West End Phoenix. So I think you can play both ends. I think it can both be permanent and totally disposable. It can be an objet d'art, and you can wipe your ass with it. Dave, good luck with it. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks so much. Village Media is kind of the opposite of the West End Phoenix. It is an online-only, for-profit, entirely ad-supported network of news and community websites throughout Ontario. It has sites serving Sault Ste. Marie, Guelph, Timmins, Barrie, Elliott Lake, and North Bay. And Village Media's CEO, Jeff Elgie, joins me from their headquarters in Sault Ste. Marie. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Jesse. I read in the Shattered Mirror media report... One of your sites, just one, Sue Today, is pulling $146,000 a month in ad revenue? That would be correct. That's about right on average. In Sault Ste. Marie, selling ads to local businesses, you're pulling in $146,000. Yeah, that coupled with our remnant programs, like some programmatic, but that would only represent maybe 15% of that volume of revenue. So yes, that is all local market. 
And by programmatic, you mean like what everybody else is getting killed by Google ads and, and just selling your inventory through automated advertising systems that that's. Yeah, exactly. So, so those systems basically fill what's left over, right? So, you know, non-premium units, non-guaranteed units, um, but certainly local market gets priority and, and that's, uh, that's what we dominantly sell. Why would a local advertiser buy an ad with you? as opposed to using Facebook and Google. And I've seen Facebook now from the other side, from an advertiser's point of view, it's awesome. You asked my favorite question because we get this question all the time, right? This is the number one objection in our universe of sales is, well, you know, I'm using Google and Facebook. So let me break it down. Um, Facebook uh, has its place and you'll never hear me tell a client of ours that they shouldn't be on Google or Facebook. You absolutely should be in almost all cases. They're great environments. Um, but it's, what's interesting is a couple of weeks ago, we poll our audience. And so, you know, Facebook's reach in Sault Ste. Marie as an example is 50% of our market. We will reach a different set of audience. A lot of people, a lot of older people, believe it or not, that probably don't have Facebook accounts um, and use them. So we reach a, a unique audience segment that Facebook doesn't. So should you not use Facebook? No. But should you use us in addition to Facebook? Yes. That's number one. Number two, if you look at the, the landscape of display advertising, and so you think about Google in particular with display, there's a real uh, challenge, which again presents an opportunity for a hyperlocal. And that's that if you look at a market like Sault Ste. Marie, there are very few publishers that run online sites that attract display advertising. So in our market, it'd be us, which is, you know, we, we would have 15 times more than our daily newspaper in terms of page viewership. There's them and there's another small, small online competitor. And so there actually is becoming, because of the, the cutbacks in the business, there's becoming what I believe to be a scarcity of locally produced display ad inventory. So now you can say, well, you know, you can geo-target someone who's in Sault Ste. Marie. Well, sure, but if I'm a local car dealer, a local restaurant or whatever, and I go to Google and target a display ad to someone who lives in Sault Ste. Marie, but they, they might be browsing a gaming site in the United States. And so we have the ability to intersect a loyal local audience with local context, and that's our content. And so the value of seeing the restaurant in the story about you know, the, 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 what's going on at city council, for example, there's much more value for that local advertiser to be in part of that environment. And actually for us, the, the, there's value in having local ads because they, they, to me, are part of that envelope of hyper-local content that we're so focused on. And so there's a real win-win there in the intersection of that. And so, you know, you can kind of get it in Google, but you can't guarantee it and you, you have all these concerns. And so that's, that's where we win. Yeah, yeah. You know what? The first point I was like, we're going for the people who aren't on Facebook. I wasn't so sure about that <laughs> one. But the second part of we're going to show you an ad for local business while you're reading about local stuff, uh, that does sound to yeah. me like something that would probably multiply the impact of the ad as opposed to when they're just looking on TMZ or something. So Absolutely. That, that makes sense. I hadn't yeah. thought of that. So what's the magic? How, how have you figured it out where so many others have failed? <laughs> well, the Sioux is a, a, so we run, uh, there are now nine sites on our platform, six of them we own. Uh, so we're in six different communities and the Sioux is in particular an anomaly. Um, you know, having said that many of our other sites are doing extremely well also, but Part of its success is the fact that it was born in about 2000. So it's been around for 16 years. It, uh, you know, we were kind of leading in those days at being a digital only publisher. And so really took the position in the market of being that go-to place for not only news, but community information. Uh, we still actually have a very robust classified section, believe it or not. Uh, obituaries are a significant traffic area for us. How do you have classifieds? So <laughs> we have over 200 classifieds per, per day. Why is it all on Kijiji Craigslist? What is this because strange we, land you live in where everything works differently than <laughs> everywhere else? So it's a bit of that, right? It's a bit that we, we were there a long time ago, but it's also the, the saturation. So that site, uh, Sault Ste. Marie is a city of 75,000 people. And Sioux today gets on a Monday to Friday between eighty to 100,000 sessions from about 40,000 unique users, the bulk of which are local um, and, you know, through our own polling and analytics, probably if you're not browsing from Sault Ste. Marie, you're still from the city, you're just traveling or you, you, you know, you've moved out of town, et cetera. So it's a very hyper-local audience, but it's massive saturation into the audience. And so in this market, it is the go-to place for news on a daily basis. And, you know, as a result of that, really, the advertising has followed. 
much was made of the shuttering of the Guelph Mercury, which right. was like 100 years or more it was in production, and, and, and what's going to fill the void. You came into that market like, okay, this is dead, and now we're going to set up shop. Is that part of your model of, of like the failure of the news industry is the opportunity for Village Media? We had actually targeted opening in Guelph prior to knowing about the Mercury closing. However, we hadn't planned it for about six months out at that point in time. And so when, when the Mercury announced their closure on very short notice, we scrambled and we opened there eight days later. And it was because, you know, what we know is that there's a real craving for local news and local community information. And so in the absence of a daily, we jumped in and that site's done phenomenally well. Like we've taken a really strong position in that market, very positive brand, like great association with, with the local community. You know, so, so yes, um, when a daily closes, it, it definitely opens our eyes up to potential to open in a new market. Let me go through some headlines I saw on Sue today this morning. Yep. High school basketball finalists set. Police find man passed out in van with engine running and alarm sounding. If you bought this ground veal, return it or throw it out. Have you seen these curious thingamaboxes downtown? Yep. Don't, don't infer any kind of mockery. Uh, that, that's community news. Absolutely. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. My question is, if there was like corruption in local government, are you equipped to investigate that? If, 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 if really bad stuff happens, do you have what you need to investigate and report it? Yes. Uh, the quick answer is yes. So now I'll be cautious about that because obviously in our smaller markets, we're not as well resourced. So in some markets, we might be covering it with two reporters. You know, in Sault Ste. Marie in particular, it's a different story because of the size of the news team. So, you know, you talk about council, we have reporters at every council session. We have reporters at whether it's hospital meetings or school board meetings, we live stream city council, you know, we live stream events. You know, we're in the midst of a, a deep piece with respect to uh, one of our public institutions here. So, you know, in the Sioux in particular, we have the resources to do it. Uh, we don't have a full-time court reporter, but we're at court uh, where there's, there's um, you know, things of significance to cover. So it's definitely possible that the, the, the trick is the marrying of the, the model uh, and time, right? So if you look at Guelph, we have three full-time people in editorial there, uh, where the newspaper in its days may have had five times that, right? And so to us, you know, we need to build audience and then, of course, build awareness of the brand and then build uh, revenue streams to support uh, the expansion of, of these sites and, and, of course, then our ability to more deeply cover things like that. So it's absolutely possible. It's still, uh, it, it takes time. I mean, that's, that's a quick answer. You participated, as I did, in the public policy forums, uh, Eddie Greenspawn's uh look into wither news in Canada that, that, that resulted in this shattered mirror report that was proposing this uh, since rejected multi-million dollar yes. subsidy for newspapers. And I know that uh, you were a, a voice uh, in the process that was uh, skeptical about it, this uh, favoring entrenched players. Um, yes. But I, I, I heard Greenspawn kind of throw to you in interviews and things like that saying, well, there are certain signs of hope, but digital's not going to replace the damage done. Like there is this village media thing. They're doing some good stuff, but like, let's not kid ourselves. It ain't no newspaper uh, was what I took from his comments about you. And I, I wonder how, what you felt about being, um, being used as that example. Was it accurate? Was it, did it reflect where you well, guys fit in? It's half fair and it's half frustrating. You know, again, I've always encouraged, you know, Ed or, or, the Globe and Mail, for example, is like, come to Sault Ste. Marie and visit us here and see how we work and see how we cover the community and see how the audience responds. And you'll see that it is possible. And I think there's so much skepticism in the, in the industry, in particular in the traditional print publishing industry, you know, because I think partly that they don't want to believe that it's possible. But, I, you know, I think it's a fair comment when you look at a Guelph as an example, right? So to us, it's a good success story. You know, we're happy with the progress there, but it's it's not... It doesn't have the chops of what the newspaper had in its day, right? The, the revenue streams take time to develop. Uh, you know, there, there's not nearly as many reporters there. But it, it doesn't mean it's impossible. I think the whole, you know, this world of, of digital-only publishing with new players like us is, is still immature to some, some extent. And, you know, we're still in this transitionary phase where, you know, there's still a reasonable amount of revenue that's flowing to print. Um, there's a perception 
that there's more value there in some cases. There's these big bad guys of Google and Facebook. <laughs> and I say that jokingly because I don't actually believe that necessarily all the time. But, you know, there's a lot of dynamics in the industry right now that that, uh, that present some challenges. But, you know, again, the frustration comes from the fact that we know what's possible. And we're not the only ones that have done this. There are not a lot of examples, but there are other examples out there of, of digital-only players that are, are staffing up significantly and covering their community well and, and, and making money doing it. Do you need money from the government to continue doing what you're doing? Uh, well, <laughs> that's a terrible question to ask me. I'm a, I'm a born and raised entrepreneur, so normally I would say no way. Um, it's hard, you know, it's hard to I, say no to money. Like if they want to <laughs> right, get your money. Course. So would I, would I take it? Absolutely. I mean, my, my interest in being at the public policy forum was to say, you know, look, if the government decides that, that, that journalism is important for a healthy democracy and it's important to our country, it's important for our culture, et cetera, et cetera, and, and we're going to fund it, then, then I was just there to say, look, Fund journalism, just don't fund a failing business model. That was my biggest concern was they were going to say, you know, oh, well, we're going to fund newspapers. And, and my thought is, well, if you want to fund journalism, then give us an equal shot at it because we can reach a bigger audience than newspaper can by a wide margin. And as long as we're going to hire a professional journalist, then we want to make sure that digital is represented at the table. And so, you know, I'm not crazy if the government's going to put money in. Of course, we'd like to take it. Um, do we need it? No, but sure, we'll take it <laughs> if it's there. <laughs> this is a problem being felt around the country, of course. Uh, and just uh, news came uh, just this week that uh, storied paper and moose job, you know, have been around for over 100 years. That They're closing there. Yes, We're, we, we very quickly took a look at that. So is, it, so, uh, is this going to scale? C can this basically fill the gap? Uh, can this save local yes. journalism, your model? Let, let me confidently say yes. Um, we just opened two sites last month. Uh, so one in a community of 10,000 people in Elliott Lake. Uh, that site launched profitable. So there was enough, because of the region that we operate in, uh, we put one full-time reporter in this community of 10,000 people. But we use our news desks in Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury uh, to cover things like regional police, the school boards, et cetera, you know, some health care coverage. And so, uh, you know, we found that, that the local market was excited to have us there. Uh, local clients jumped on board, regional clients jumped on board. And so that was a real eye opener for us that in very short order, we could prove not only an audience, but prove a revenue model in a market that small. The other site we launched was in Halifax. So we launched a new site in cooperation with Rogers and there are two radio stations in that market. And, you know, in very short order, some some great stories coming out of that. So I, I think it, it's, it's funny, you know, I've been in this business for a while, but the last six months or, or in particular, all of a sudden there's so much attention on, on local, right? And, and there's an audience craving for it. And, and, and it just seems like the whole industry is all of a sudden getting excited about it. So... Can it replace the size, uh, the number of journalists, the tomorrow that the daily newspaper has today? Maybe not, but but we've built this business to scale. We have built uh, our own platforms. We've built models. We've built launch models um, designed to scale this significantly. And you say that you were, you're looking at the failure of the paper and Moose Show with interest. If post media goes under, which is a good chance it will, like that's a bonanza for you. You're like you're running a scalable kind of vulture operation. But like, it's good for you if these papers die. Yeah, I mean, you never like to say you never like to say that because obviously you don't want people to lose jobs, and you know you respect the the, the value that a newspaper has inside of a community. Um, but from a business standpoint, of course, yeah. I mean, you know, the Guelph Daily closing was a significant opportunity for us, and and we expect there'll be many more in the years to come. Jeff, thank you. You're very welcome. The Sprawl is a self-described pop-up online news org that launched early this fall specifically to cover one story, the Calgary mayoral election, and then it shut down. For now, it is a project from Jeremy Clausus, a Calgary journalist who has reported on Calgary for 15 years for CTV, for the CBC, and for the late alt-weekly Fast Forward. He joins me from his home in Calgary. So what, what is pop-up journalism? Calgary, like most cities, has a real lack of uh, city media coverage. And I was looking at, you know, what could fill that gap in Calgary. And in Calgary, it was really a gap left when Fast Forward, uh, the Alt Weekly, folded uh, in 2015. And after it disappeared, there was agreement in the community that 
okay, there's this big gap, but what's going to fill it? And nobody could really figure that out, and neither could I. Uh, but every time I threw it out on Twitter, I, you know, from time to time, I'd just say something like, you know, this city really needs something to fill the fast forward shaped hole in this city. And I wonder what it could be. People would go nuts about it and be like, yeah, we need this. You should do something. We'll support it. So there was all this enthusiasm, but I couldn't figure out, you know, as I researched, there's so many examples of people who have started local news websites and they kind of... They start with good intentions and a burst of enthusiasm and then taper off. Uh, So over time, I kind of refined this idea of pop-up journalism basically as a bulwark against burning out and as a way of making it sustainable. So I cover specific things for specific periods of time uh, is the basic idea behind it. So you just sort of like launch the sprawl to cover the mayoral election and then shutter it after it's done. Yeah, exactly. The first edition covered Calgary's municipal election. So it ran for a month. And then, you know, right from the outset, I said on October 20th, I'm taking this thing down. So I'm going to go hard until October 20th. I'm going to go to all these forums. I'm going to break stories. But on the 20th, it goes quiet. And then I figure out what the next edition is going to be. So I set that expectation that it was going to be taken down. So it's kind of an experiment. Yeah, it's, it's it sounds experimental. It also sounds pretty clever because, you know, the the daunting challenge, you know, there's always this like enthusiasm, especially when journalists are trying to figure out how just how to practice their trade. And, oh, we should do this and it should be like this. The fun part of the conversation is what, what your magazine will be like, what your newspaper will be like. And then the reality of like, and then we have to do it all the time forever. And it has to financially sustain forever. We have to maintain our interest. The money has to keep coming in. And it's just taken as a given that if you start something, it's just going to run indefinitely. And if you remove that expectation, you can just focus on just doing the thing that you do. Absolutely. And, and, and that was the you know, barrier I kept running into whenever I talked to people about this, you know, talking to people who had done this stuff in the past. So one of the people uh, who was quite influential in this was Sean Holman, who ran a website called The Public Eye in Victoria for... Yeah, sure. A, over a decade, I believe. And, and so it was him covering the BC legislature and kind of with that model of, yeah, I'm going to do this indefinitely all the time. And when I met with him, you know, I thought he's going to give me some great advice. He's going to be so enthusiastic about this, but he's like, dude, like, don't, he didn't say, don't do this. He didn't say, don't do this, but he's like, yeah, basically he said, if you're going to do something, you got to figure out something that's really new and fresh because this road ends in burnout, basically. Yeah. Uh, so you have to find a way around that. And an election seems like the perfect thing because, like, there will never be more interest in municipal coverage than during an election. And during an election that was very much kind of a nail biter, where I think a lot of people, well, everybody thought then she was going to lose. Did you guys have projections? Because like this was an election where the, the Calgary media really had a lot of egg on their face when it was all oh, done, yeah. right? How, how was the sprawl looking? Well, I think pretty good. One of the things, it basically was me and a handful of journalism students who would cover the odd forum for us. And so I had to be really selective about what am I covering? So we, we have a big arena debate in Calgary right now, you know, who should pay for the Calgary Flames new arena. And this is the big, this was the big story on the CTVs and in the Herald and all, all the big media. And my readership basically said, don't cover that. Like we're sick of hearing about the arena. So with the polls, kind of same thing. Like I'm not going to commission a poll. I don't have any kind of resources around that. So I just, I guess I kind of stood by as the other guys start the, started themselves on fire. I mean, uh, <laughs> you didn't have a poll. How could I didn't you cover, have... they're so terribly accurate. How I know, I know. The election without... <laughs> Uh, we should remind people that, uh, what was it, Quito Maggie, right? Uh, how how off was he? Uh, like, really, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, like, it was totally haywire. Like, the polls they put out showed Bill Smith, who's kind of white-bred, conservative, uh, old boys club, it showed him ahead, uh, you know, with young people, with women. Like, all, the, all these numbers were totally haywire uh, if you looked at them. And they were super confident, like like ridiculously confident that it was going to bear out the way that they thought it was. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, post media ran with 
with that poll. I didn't pay much attention to it. I didn't have the resources. You, you know, my our readership was interested in we were covering ward forums. So one of the things we would do is go out to you know, these councillor all candidates debates and Facebook live them because nobody else was doing that. So people got really into that. I did the same thing I did at Fast Forward, uh, which is, you know, when you're an alt weekly, you can't be comprehensive. You can't compete with global and post media and all that. So you got to look at where are the gaps, right? So our most popular pieces in the end were actually about race in Calgary and uh, how we don't talk about that and how we do, how when we do, we have no idea uh, how to and how we would rather not even have that conversation. So that, that was one of the gaps where it really made sense for us to step in. So you say that you were looking for scoops. Did you get any scoops during the campaign? One of the things we broke was that, you know, there was a slate of school board candidates. The school trustee race in this election was actually really interesting because there was a slate that was running, which is highly unusual. Usually they run as independents. And, you know, Jason Kenney had talked approvingly of this slate and, and there were these ties to the conservatives that were interesting. And so we reported on that. And one of the things we reported on was, you know, a mail out that went out saying the NDP was trying to co-parent our children and, you know, elect me so we can keep that from happening. Highly partisan stuff. Um, so we reported on that. I don't think anybody else picked up on it, whether for lack of resources or I don't know why they didn't. But how was this funded? I actually wasn't going to even bother monetizing this first edition because my thought was, you know what, I'm just going to do this and show people here's what it is and then fundraise after that and I had a friend who basically told me you're a moron like what are you doing you need to monetize this now like the support is there people want to pay for this so literally the night before launching I threw together a Patreon page in haste and as it turned out people totally flocked to support it by the end of the campaign I think I was in the realm of 140 Patreon supporters and now I'm close to 160, uh, which is a good start after just over a month. Yeah, it, it beats a punch in the head. I mean, you've got 159 patrons right now and uh, $1,184 a month U.S. That pays, that's decent. That's decent. That's a start. Uh, the way the Patreon works this is the way it works for us. Like, like they pay for everybody else to have it. So how many people did you ultimately reach? So those, those 159 were making your journalism available to what? Because, I mean, one of my big questions for you is, what you are sacrificing in not having a permanent presence. And yeah. we haven't mentioned, but the way that you published this was first just on Facebook is where your, your yeah. journalism would be published. And then on Medium, uh, ultimately, without that permanent presence, how do people know where to find you? How many people could possibly be reading this? So, so do you have any any metrics on uh, your audience size? A little bit. like So as of right now, you know, 3,000 followers on Twitter. I think it's in the realm of half that on Facebook. Our most popular medium posts were in the realm of 7,000 views, I believe. Mm -hmm. So like it worked at least, at least in the first edition. Now, of course, the challenge is what do you do uh, for future ones? And I'm, that's totally something I'm figuring out uh, as I go. So Jeremy, what do you do for future ones? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things in Alberta right now uh, is that we are... 16 or so months away from a provincial election, which is going to be a big one. There's some of my readers who say, just cover this, like start covering it now and cover it until the election. Whereas I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you know what? I don't know if that is sustainable. I'm more looking at where's the in, where, where can I craft an addition for a certain period of time that makes sense. And, and the fact is when doing this, I have to think about, marketing so one of the big things is like leave people wanting more right yeah i, I hear you like it, it to kind of maintain the pop-up model i mean even yeah. like, like you're still collecting the patreon money in your off season but it seems like your patrons are cool with that so it'll probably have more punch and a bit be more focused if you have like a very specific mandate for what you do next the you know, same as what you did the first time set the dates and set your and set your mission uh exactly will probably be more and appealing it, and it is a little awkward uh, with the monthly Patreon model in the sense that people, like you say, people are supporting me when the sprawl is quote unquote put away. So I, I set myself a deadline uh, saying, you know, I'm going to come back to you guys with something 
in December. I don't know exactly what that is yet, but I'm going to figure it out because I think it is important. Like you can't let it go for too long with people supporting you monthly and you're not bringing anything back to them. So, right. so it's experimenting. It's figuring out, you know, what works, what's the time frame that, uh, the gaps of time that work, what's the edition <laughs> length that works. Everyone keep paying me for the journalism that's in the mystery box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think you can only get so far with that. Do you think this can scale? Do you think that this is something that could be like a new model for local news coverage by others across the country? That's a good question. Lots of people have asked me that. I've never thought of it in terms of that. And to be honest, I don't even have ambitions for that. Like one of the ideas that this really sprang up from is Calgary stories for Calgarians, because we're so used to, you know, Eastern media telling our stories and that kind of thing. So it was about something for this time and place. That said, I don't see why this model couldn't be emulated elsewhere if it works. Uh, and it seems to be working so far. But I think with any of these things, though, a copy and paste gets tricky. you got to really be in tune with where your community is at. I feel like I had that knowledge and just intuition based on covering the city for for so long. But I think everybody would have to figure out what works for their city. Thanks, Jeremy. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. If you want to read our news stories, you can do so a couple of ways. You can like our Facebook page and they will show up in your news feed, or you could just go to canadalandshow.com, but you know, we just publish them when they're ready. So it's sort of hard to tell. So like us on Facebook if you want them. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This show was produced by Kevin Sexton. We say goodbye to producer Russell Gregg. Thank you for everything, Russ. Good luck. Syndication of Canada Land is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this you can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.